Welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from Thankful Homemaker, and I'm so glad to be with you today. We are at the end of the year, or the start of the new year, depending on when you're listening into this episode, but I know for most of us, whether it's the end of December or early January, it is on our minds as believers what the next year looks like for us and and how we're going to prioritize things that are really important to us as believers, like our time in the Word, deepening our prayer life, and how we're going to engage and serve our church family. Many of us may set goals, or as I like to call them, spiritual priorities, and and in these areas, many areas, but these particularly is what we're going to talk about today. So the, the aim or the hope of our time today is to really invigorate both you and me, ensuring that we will fully leverage the means of grace that the Lord has gifted us to, to foster our spiritual growth and deepen our connection with Him. So I, I mentioned spiritual priorities, and I want to update my podcast on spiritual priorities. I have an older one. I've had many requests from quite a few of you to do that, and it is so on my list, so you know that. So thank you for kind of um, just kind of giving me a boost to want to do that because I've wanted to do it, and I keep putting it aside. But when I get those messages and those little emails, it kind of sticks it on the, the front burner there for me. So I really hope to get to that in early or to mid-January. I'm still working on it myself right now, so <laughs> I'm not ready to do it until I kind of work through it. But I will link to the older episode that I recorded on spiritual priorities. I also have a YouTube video on it if you're a YouTube watcher. And I have a resource that goes well along with it if you want to get a head start before I get to that recording. So I have also, just to update you, I have yet to update my book list from this past year, and I'm still putting my list together of the books I hope to read in 2024. My husband and I had some coffee planning time yesterday, and we were working on that together a little bit. But I am planning to get a book list together soon. By the time I get it, probably nobody will be interested. But it's a good thing for me to do for myself, so I'm kind of grateful to put that together. And also, if you're interested in staying updated on really all that's happening with the blog and podcast, then I highly recommend that you sign up for my email list. It not only keeps you in the loop about what's going on here at the blog and podcast, but I also share personal thoughts and insights in it. You you gain access to a library of free printables. And each newsletter is filled with articles and resources and encouragement that's going to aid and encourage you in your walk as a Christian homemaker. So make sure you get on that email list. It's free. The library is free. It's part of it. And I will link to that in the show notes. So in today's episode, we're going to walk through or work through, I should say, the means of grace that the Lord has appointed. And they're often referred to as the spiritual disciplines. And these are gifts from the Lord that help us to grow in godliness and increase our joy in Jesus. I have written an extensive series on these disciplines. Um, it's actually written, but I've also recorded it on the podcast and on the blog. But for this particular episode, I'm drawing from my time at this past year's Open Hearts in a Closed World conference. And I will link to that whole conference if you want to catch all the messages from it. So today we're going to dive into three specific disciplines that I work through in my session on it. It's our time in the Word, prayer, and fellowship. And again, if you want to dig deeper, I will link to that whole spiritual discipline series from the podcast. Each of these areas 
had its own episode. And then in addition to these areas, we also worked through Bible study and evangelism, journaling, fasting, meditating on God's word and scripture memory. So that was all part of my spiritual discipline series. And the blog posts for each of those, like the show notes portion, they are filled with lots of helpful links too. So that'll all be linked for you. Lots of links today, sorry. But today we're going to explore together the importance of spending time in the word and in prayer and in fellowship with the saints. And the hope is that we will be encouraged by a few of the many benefits of these practices, that we will become practical in our application, and we're going to see how developing these habits leads us to enjoy and worship Jesus. I'm also including a PDF handout, which I don't do very often for this episode, and you can access that in the show notes too. So, we have so many needs as believers, and, and one way we access the grace of the Lord is through these ordinary means that he's ordained. We're not going to grow in our knowledge of him without them. And without knowledge of the Lord, we're not going to grow in our love and obedience to him. So I hope in our time together to bring us back to the basics, spur us on to be reminded that we can trust these ordinary means of grace, these disciplines that God has provided us with. It is the way that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. John MacArthur stated on the means of grace of of the word, prayer, and fellowship, he said that they are instruments through which God's spirit graciously grows believers in Christ's likeness and fortifies them in the faith and conforms them into the image of the Son. And J.C. Ryle describes them as appointed channels through which the Holy Spirit conveys fresh supplies of grace to the soul and strengthens the work which he has begun in the inward man. Donald Whitney describes the spiritual disciplines, and I'll use the terms today, means of grace and spiritual disciplines interchangeably, just so you know, I'm saying the same thing. But he stated, he said, the spiritual disciplines are those personal and corporate disciplines that promote spiritual growth. They are habits of devotion and experiential Christianity that have been practiced by the people of God since biblical times. The spiritual disciplines are the God-given means we are to use in the spirit-filled pursuit of of godliness. And Romans 8:29 tells us that for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So God desires for us to become more like Christ. And when Jesus returns, 1 John 3:2 tells us we shall be like him. So it's clear from God's word that he desires us to strive toward holiness. We're told in 1 Peter 1:16 to be holy as I am holy. And 1 Timothy 4:7 tells us to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Physical discipline doesn't bring about godliness. It's a good thing, but it doesn't bring about godliness. But spiritual discipline does. And just an important side note to remember as we begin this episode, and as we're working through these, we cannot earn our way to heaven by practicing the spiritual disciplines. You do not gain favor with God by reading your Bible or praying or attending church. Your favor with God is found only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We stand before God only through the righteousness of Christ that has been gifted to those who have repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So please, if you're unsure of where you stand with Jesus, take the time to read under the home tab at the top of my blog at thankfulhomemaker.com on what is the gospel. You can always message me too. So you, I, I, I'd love that if you have any questions about where you stand with Jesus. 
So Jesus is the only way to heaven. We know this, John 14, 6, and it's through a relationship with him, through repentance and faith, that he has done the work for us. And we need to receive the free gift of salvation through him. We're justified by grace, declared righteous, not by our own works, but on Jesus's perfect life. So why do we need to practice the spiritual disciplines? And one thing that comes to my mind first is Jesus did. Jesus knew God's word. He went to solitary places to pray. He fasted. He fellowshiped. He shared the gospel with others. Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We can see in that verse alone that God's word and prayer and fellowship were important elements in the early church. David Mathis, in his book, Habits of Grace, Enjoying Jesus Through the Spiritual Disciplines, he refers to the spiritual disciplines as means of grace. And I love how he defines them through this picture. He states, I can flip a switch, but I don't provide the electricity. I can turn on a faucet, but I don't make the water flow. There will be no light and no liquid refreshment without someone else providing it. And he continues, and so it is for the Christian with the ongoing grace of God. His grace is essential for our spiritual lives, but we don't control the supply. We can't make the favor of God flow, but he has given us circuits to connect and pipes to open expectantly, end quote there. So those circuits and pipes, they are the spiritual disciplines are also defined as the means of grace. And we can't earn grace, but we can put ourselves in a position, as Dave Mathis, Mathis says, to go on getting as he keeps on giving. Or as Donald Whitney states it, the spiritual disciplines are ways by which we can spiritually place ourselves in the path of God's grace and seek him. So through God's grace, we're conformed to the image of his son, Romans 8.29. And then Philippians, Philippians 1.6 reminds us that he who began a good work in us will complete it. So these means of grace, Bible intake, prayer and fellowship, the three main areas, are ways the Holy Spirit conforms us more and more into the image of Christ. So I'm going to start with the word and its importance in our walk with the Lord, because this is key. So God's word is, is his revelation to humanity. It's his revelation of himself and his character and his works, and it's how we hear from God. We've all heard it said that if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible out loud. John 17, 17 tells us, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is praying for our sanctification, which is the process of being made more and more into Christ-likeness. It's to be like Jesus. He's asking the Father to do this by the truth. And what is truth? God's word is truth. We're sanctified by truth. God's word is truth. We are sanctified by the word of God. We are not going to grow in godliness without it. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The gospel is revealed to us through God's word, and it is, as it states in Romans 1.16, the power of God for salvation. We cannot be saved without God's word. Romans 10.17 tells us, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We have a God we can know and meet with, and because of that, we should meet with God on a regular basis. If we're in Christ, God is our Father, and we are His children, and we want to spend time with our Heavenly Father to desire to know Him more. And, and as we do that, we get a clearer understanding of who we are in light of Him, and it changes our perspective of the world as we begin to see all of life through His perspective. And how does this come about? It's only by spending time in his word. There was a survey, a survey taken by the Barner Group on Christians, and it reported that only 18%, 18%, 
that's less than less than two of every 10 read their Bibles daily, and it gets worse. 23%, one in four Christians say they never read God's word. So 1 Timothy 4.7 reminds us to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And one of those top priority disciplines needs to be reading, studying, and meditating on God's word. Jesus asked quite a few times, have you not read? I'm grabbing that from Mark, Matthew 19.4 and Mark 12.10. Jesus is assuming that those who are claiming to be people of God should be reading the word of God. The word Bible comes from the Latin and Greek words meaning book. And there are 66 different books in the Bible. We have the books of the law like Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And we have the historical books like Ezra and Acts. Poetry here, think Psalms or Ecclesiastes. And prophecy books like Isaiah and Revelation. And then we have biographies like Matthew and John. And we have epistles or letters like Titus and Galatians. But the Bible ultimately has one author, God. All scripture was authored by God, written by men as they were led by the Holy Spirit. I'm referencing their 2 Peter 1, 20-21 and 2 Timothy 3, 16. The, the human authors, the Lord used over 40 of them over a period of 1,500 years. They wrote exactly what God wanted them to. And this unified book that we can now hold in our hands or on our tablets or on our phones or read it on our computers, right? It, it, that this unified book with the story of redemption, it points all the way through from beginning to end to Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Donald Whitney states, he says, no spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's word. Nothing can substitute for it. There simply is no healthy Christian life apart from a diet of the milk and meat of scripture. The reasons for this are obvious. In the Bible, God tells us about himself and especially about Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God. The Bible unfolds the law of God to us and shows us how we've all broken it. There we learn how Christ died as a sinless, willing substitute for breakers of God's law and how we must repent and believe in him to be right with God. In the Bible, we learn the ways and the will of the Lord. We find in scripture how God wants us to live and what brings the most joy and satisfaction in life. None of this eternally essential information, he continues here, can be found anywhere else except the Bible. Therefore, if we would know God and be godly, we must know the word of God intimately, end quote there. So all of scripture is truth from God as men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. All of scripture points us toward trusting in Jesus Christ as our redeemer. So my dear friend, we must be people of the book. God reveals himself through it to us. Jesus is the word and the word of truth, the gospel, the message about Jesus comes to us for conversion and bears fruit and grows. One commentator stated, he said, without the Bible, we will soon lose the genuine gospel and the real Jesus and the true God. For now, if we are to saturate our lives with the words of life, we must be people of the book. So it needs to shape our lives. We need to meditate on it and prayerfully and diligently work to understand and apply it, every truth and command. We need to teach it to our children. And to do any of this, we need to be reading it as individuals. So if you are a Christian, my dear sister, if you are my sister, you're my sister if you're a Christian. I always like want to correct when people say that because not everybody is my sister. If we are in the faith, we are sisters. So if you're a Christian, you must be a people of the book. So let's talk about 
some benefits of spending time in the Word because that can sometimes help us to maybe be encouraged to pick it up. We, we know spending time in God's Word is essential for our spiritual growth. That's like a key benefit, right? Right there. It helps us to know God better and to understand His character and His will for our lives. And we can so often just look at reading God's Word as a box to check off or something we know we should do. So we just do it. And we may do it without delighting in His Word. And we may even read it and walk away unchanged, not remembering anything we read. And I'm raising my hand. I'm so guilty of that at times. Maybe we determine we're going to start that new Bible reading plan, right? And we're at the end of the year or beginning of the year. I know we're, it's all in our minds, right? And in a moment, and I do want to encourage some uh, some practical ways to spend, daily, um, to spend time daily in the Word. But before we go uh, buying that new Bible or journal or anything we think might be the next motivator to get us regularly in the Word, I'm saving you some cash here. I want to simply share some benefits of spending time in the Word. And my hope, this is not an exhaustive list. But I used Psalm 19 was a guide to me for personally as a young believer of the benefit of reading God's word. And I wanted to share some benefits from it. So I'm um, I'm going to read from Psalm 19 verses 7 and 8 here. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So the law of the Lord is the Bible, and the word law is the Hebrew word Torah, but here it's referring to all of scripture, and it tells us that God's word brings life. It revives our soul. Truly, there is, on the one hand, the picture of God's word giving life to our dead souls at conversion, right? But this word revive was also used for food that gives us strength. So God's word is our spiritual food. And Jesus reminded us in Matthew chapter four that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So God's word truly is our life. It is perfect, flawless, and complete, and it sustains us. And God's word, it teaches us. We need God's word for wisdom and to teach us how to live. When it states here, making wise the simple, it means to instruct the uninstructed. So it helps us not to be misled, to know and embrace true wisdom. And we need guidance from God's word in every area of our lives to avoid danger and things like falling into false teaching. And we need guidance to walk in ways that bring honor and glory to the Lord. And then in verse eight, God's precepts are his detailed instructions on the everyday matters of life that we all deal with. God has great love for us and he desires to see us flourish. So he commands us what to do and what not to do. And we do the same for our children because we desire what's best for them, because we love them. God's commands lead to life and life abundant. One commentator stated it, we are enlightened and learn God's truth when we obey what he says. That's John 7, 17. And not just when we read or study it. That was from James 1, 22 to 25. So God's word, it's a map to guide us and enlighten us. And then we also see in verse 8, that Psalm 19, verse 8, the progression of God's word. In verse 7, it said it makes us alive, it makes us wise. And now here in verse 8, it makes us joyful. And from joy, we see next discernment. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Without God's word, we're going to remain in the dark. We're going to continually fall into one ditch after another, into one sin after another, into another false teaching after another. We're going to be stumbling through life with no direction. We need the word of God to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That's Psalm 119, 105. 
So if you need to be encouraged by more benefits of being in the Word, spend some time and camp in Psalm 119. That's a great place to just sit for a bit and take it in. Um, I want to move through some practical help to get us into the Word on a regular basis if we're not. So what are some practical ways that we can engage with the Word? So first off, we don't need to overcomplicate this. I know I'm so guilty of doing that at times that, that we need to keep it simple, right? And if we keep it simple, we're more likely to stick with it. And second, we need to make the time. I, I always say earlier in the day is the best because once the day gets rolling, before we know it, it's bedtime and we haven't spent any time in the Word. We can read before bed, but I know for me, if I'm tired, I'm probably not at my best mentally and I'm not going to remember very much. I'm just speaking from my own experience here. But Donald Whitney shares in his book on the spiritual disciplines that we should encounter Christ in the scriptures when it will still have an impact on our days. And to me, that seems to imply morning, right? So pick a Bible reading plan to go through. That's a great place to start. It could be, there's various Bible plans out there. Michelle Leslie always has a great list of reading plans on her blog, and I'll, I'll share the link to that. Ligonier is another one that has them, but I will share both of those in the session notes. So pick a Bible reading plan, right? And then very simply, pick a time. Maybe you need to set an alarm. Pick a spot and a Bible reading plan. Set your materials out where you're going to be reading. Keep a pen and a journal or notebook handy to take notes as the Lord speaks to you through his word. I'm, I'm not going in depth in, this episode, in our time here today on what it looks like to meditate on God's word, but I do have a free PDF guide available at my blog at thankfulhomemaker.com. It's called Daily Time with the Lord. I'll link to that in the show notes, but I've always appreciated just very simply what Donald Whitney said. He sa- states, Take at least one thing you've read and think deeply about it for a few moments. Your insight into scripture will deepen and you'll better understand how it applies to your life. And the more you apply the truth of scripture, the more you become like Jesus. So you can also pray through a portion of the text you just read. Just simply pick a verse or two and pray through it. Ask yourself questions like, what have I learned about God in this passage and how does this change the way I live? With just those two questions alone, you have so much to meditate on during the day and pray about. When we meditate on the word or or to, that just means to think deeply about it, it's not meditate new age like empty your mind. That's not biblical. But when we're meditating as believers, we're filling our mind with God's word and we're thinking deeply about it. We're submitting our minds to the Holy Spirit's illumination of the text and it intensifies our spiritual perception. God's word was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So pray and ask him to illuminate your reading. So our next area we're going to walk through is is prayer and its importance in our walk with the Lord as as another one of the means of grace to grow in godliness. And prayer is simply talking to God. John 1.12 tells us, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God hears the prayers of his children. If we are in Christ, we have an intimate relationship with the Lord, and we should desire to communicate and worship and seek his face. Just as an earthly father cares about the requests of his children, even more so our perfect heavenly father hears and cares about all our requests and petitions. Prayer reminds us that we're dependent on God for every aspect of our lives, and it should cause us to humbly come before him with an attitude of humility. We are in a relationship with the Lord, and we grow in that relationship by being in communication with him. 
prayer, prayer doesn't mean that we're going to have these perfect days without trials or suffering or difficulties. We're reminded in John 16, 33, that's one I repeat to myself again and again, that in this world, we're going to have tribulation. Prayer is not coming to God demanding, but we're coming before the Lord with an open hand to what he knows is best for us. The Lord appoints our portion. Donald Whitney reminds us in regards to the spiritual disciplines that prayer is second only to Bible intake in the order of importance. We know we have the ear of our Heavenly Father. We know prayer is important, and we know the scriptures tell us we are to do it, right? But why don't we do it? We may pray a sentence or two to God here and there throughout our days, but statistics have shown that most Christians don't spend much sustained time in prayer. I feel like I have a link to a Crossway article about prayer, um, just some facts and statistics that I'll link to in the show notes. I'll write that down because I'm going to forget. So a big part of our sanctification is being worked in and through our prayer time with the Lord. As Donald Whitney states, he says, we must come to grips with the fact that to be like Jesus, we must pray. We're expected to pray. And just a few quick examples, Jesus states in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5, 6, and 7, he says, when you pray. Colossians 4, 2 tells us to continue steadfastly in prayer. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 tells us to pray without ceasing. So talking to God, it should be on our minds throughout our day. In Christ, we are in constant fellowship and relationship with the Father. I really like this. Donald Whitney comments on 1 Thessalonians 5.17. He states, You might think of praying without ceasing as communicating with God on one line while also taking calls on another. Even while you're talking on the other line, you never lose your awareness of the need to return your attention to the Lord. So praying without ceasing means you never really stop conversing with God. You simply have frequent interruptions. Martin Luther stated, he said, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. So we know we need to pray because we see Jesus modeling the importance of prayer in his life. Luke 5, 16 tells us he, referring to Jesus there, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He prayed with others, that's Luke 9, 28, prayed for others, Matthew 19, 13, prayed often and regularly, Luke 5, 16. His prayers were based on the truth of God's word, John 4, 24, and John 8, 32. He prayed knowing God would answer prayer according to his will, it's Matthew 26, 39, and he taught us to be persistent in prayer and never give up. That's Luke 18, 1. I just shot a bunch of verses out at you, and so you know, with the PDF handout that I'm attaching to this, it has all the verses linked in it too. They're all there for you, so you can have reference to them. So just as the Bible is how God speaks to us, prayer is how we speak to God, and we are commanded in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. So all of our life is to be a conversation with the Lord. We should pray privately. We should pray with our family, our spouses, our church family, friends. We may at times pray with fasting. We offer the Lord our prayers of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, intercession, and supplication. I always think the Acts you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication is such a great guideline. If you don't know where to begin, that's a great place to start in your prayer life. So what are some benefits of prayer in our lives? So Psalm 145.18 tells us, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. 
James 4.8 tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Spurgeon said, hear this command and practice it. Get near to God in Christ Jesus and you shall soon find him. Come to your help in every hour of need. So as we communicate with God through prayer, we build a relationship with him and it grows us in our dependence on him and we grow closer to him. It keeps our focus on the eternal and we don't just get caught up in the temporal. Colossians 3, 1 through 2, some of my favorite verses tell us, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So prayer keeps our focus upward, and it takes our eyes off ourselves and gives us an eternal perspective. So when we seek the Lord's guidance and wisdom, it changes how we respond and react to all the various issues that come about during our day. Praying God's word keeps our prayers focused on the Lord's desire for us and others. And as we intercede for others, it takes the focus off of ourselves and it puts it on others when we're praying for them. It, it makes us aware of their needs. And then we find ourselves not just praying for them, but seeing how we can help and encourage them in tangible ways. It grows us in our care and compassion for others as we're praying for them. Alexander Strott stated, he said, prayer requires effort. When we pray for people, we focus our thoughts on them. We take their burdens upon ourselves. We intercede before God for them. We sacrifice our time for them. We commit ourselves to their well-being. We demonstrate true care and compassion. So again, there's many more benefits than what I'm sharing here. But the last one I want to share is it brings peace that surpasses all understanding. Let me read Philippians 4, 6 through 7. I know these are familiar to all of us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This verse reminds me so often that if something is concerning me, instead of going over and over and over it again and again and again in my mind, right? <laughs> I need to take it to the Lord in prayer. There is no concern too little to take to the Lord. We can take all our requests to him. Ray Pritchard said on this verse, he said, pray with thanksgiving. Why is this so important? Worry and gratitude cannot coexist. Worry will drive out your gratitude or gratitude will drive out your worry. And another commentator stated, he said, when everything is placed trustingly into the hands of our heavenly father in prayer, petition, and praise, we know that he will keep watch over our hearts and minds so that nothing can upset us mentally or emotionally. So my friend, we're going to have many troubles and concerns in this world, but truly there isn't anything more needed than God's peace guarding our hearts and minds. This is a benefit of prayer. So let's talk about some practical ways to pray. So prayer is learned. We, we don't always think about it in that way, but, but as we read the scripture, we see how to approach God in prayer. And as we pray with other mature believers, we learn the language of prayer. And as we study the prayer life of others and we read books on prayer, we grow in our prayer life. And these are all things that should be part of our lives as believers. But we can do all those things and not pray ourselves. So we just need to pray. Just as we learn and grow in other areas of our walk with the Lord, it's no different with our prayer lives. We learn by doing. The more we spend time in prayer with the Lord, the more it becomes a part of our daily walk with Him. And just as with the discipline of reading and studying God's Word, 
we need to take the time to plan for it. And so it is with our prayer life. We need to plan. We take the time to plan vacations and home projects. And I think here I'm planning my year, right? And my goals and all that stuff, my daily tasks. We must plan to pray if we desire to grow in godliness. Maybe after you spend your time in the word, you choose a passage to pray through at the end of your time. If you're struggling to stay focused, set a timer for even five minutes. I I know it seems short, but if you're not praying at all, that's a good place to begin. So start there because sometimes the hardest thing about praying can be to just start to pray. Just begin talking to the Lord and, and don't worry about what to say. You are in his presence as his child. You can come to him as a needy child who is trusting that he hears you and loves you, and he's the one who meets all our needs. Just begin by telling him what's on your mind and set aside this time every day until it becomes a habit, and it's just going to naturally increase over time. And your relationship with him is just going to build over time, and your communication with him is going to become longer and deeper and more intimate. If, if you can find a quiet place to pray, it can be so helpful to concentrate. I know for me, this is why early in the morning is the best time. And, and it just helps me. T- I like to pray aloud. That really helps me to stay focused and keep my mind from wandering. And I just want to share something for me personally. Like when I start praying to Lord, when I start communicating with him, it takes me that few minutes to just get comfortable and be communicating with him openly and freely. Um, and sometimes that takes a little bit. So the, the length of time does matter. If you're just going to pray for 30 seconds, there's not going to be any depth to your prayer life. I, I know I said that five minutes and that's good to start, but the hope is it's going to develop and grow and become longer and longer in time because you're just going to simply delight in spending time with him. Martin Luther noted in his book, A Simple Way to Pray, that it was a really helpful read that Jesus prayed out loud when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, even though he was by himself. So that is reason enough for me to pray out loud. Jesus gave us some guidance on how to pray when the disciples asked him in Matthew chapter 6. So we have the example of how not to pray in Matthew chapter 6, 5 through 8, that we're not to pray to impress others. But Jesus did give us a model for prayer in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And I do have a whole episode in our Sermon on the Mount series on the Lord's Prayer. If you want to listen in, I need to link to that one for you too, just in case. Um the the Lord's prayer, it's it's to be used to shape our own prayers. And it's a good guide for us in our prayer time with the Lord. But we can also use other areas of scripture to pray through things like the Psalms or the Ten Commandments or the prayers of the Apostle Paul. Um, many times I liked, like I said earlier, I like to use the acronym ACTS, that adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication as a guide because it keeps me focused. It reminds me that prayer is more than just supplication and intercession, but it's a time to give praise to the Lord and to give thanks to him and to confess my sin. Donald Whitney shared that prayerful people become godly people for prayerfulness with God cultivates godliness in all of life. That's a great quote to remind ourselves of. J.C. Ryle said, What is the reason that some believers are so much brighter and holier than others? He states, I believe the difference in 19 cases out of 20 arises from different habits about private prayer. I believe that those who are not eminently holy pray little, and those who are eminently holy pray much. So my dear sister, we need to be women of prayer and fellowship. 
So fellowship is our last area to walk through here today. And it is another very important aspect in our walk with the Lord. It is another important means of grace. If we've been believers for any amount of time, we are familiar with the Greek word koinonia. And it's a word used in the New Testament that translates fellowship. So our fellowship or partnership or communion as believers is so important to the family of God and to the body of Christ. God designed us for fellowship. And in Genesis 2.18, it tells us that it is not good for man to be alone. We were designed for fellowship with one another. 1 John 1.3 tells us, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This verse lays out the foundation of our fellowship. It is with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, And then, if we are in this fellowship, we are in fellowship with anyone else in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Our fellowship is with those who are in the family of God. It is what we all have in common. And a simple meaning of koinonia is commonness. In 1 John 1, 3, which I just read a little bit ago, it refers to what we have seen and heard and proclaimed to you. And what is that? It's the gospel. John MacArthur states on this verse, he says, The proclamation of the gospel was not an end in itself. The proclamation of the gospel was to have as its goal the creation of a fellowship. When the gospel is preached, beloved, it is preached because God wants to make a fellowship. God wants to draw some people into his family and into family with each other. And truly, our fellowship is with each other and with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So the fellowship is non-experiential. It's a fact of partnership. It's again, 1 Corinthians 6, 17. He that is joined to the Lord is one in spirit. We're all in one family. We're all in one partnership. That's the essence of koinonia, he states there, end quote. So salvation is the basis for our fellowship. So everyone who is a Christian is in the fellowship and we are all equal in Christ. We all have the same infinite worth and rights and privileges as one another. Galatians 3.28 tells us, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Acts 2.42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So these early believers in the church, they could not get enough teaching and fellowship and prayer. These early believers were all Jewish and they were well knowledge in the Old Testament scriptures, but now they were being taught by the apostles and their eyes were opened by the work of the Spirit to see the scriptures in a new way. They were truly understanding them and as they learned more and more, they were sharing it with one another. Jerry Bridges shares from his book, True Community, one I highly recommend to pick up and read. It'd be good to go through with maybe your church family or some um, other friends, just some other believers. He states, this is fellowship, sharing with one another what God is teaching through the scriptures. And this is an important part of true community. He's So fellowship, it's not talking about the weather or politics or our favorite sports teams. Jerry Bridges continues. He says, if we are to regain the New Testament concept of fellowship within the community, we must learn to get beyond the temporal issues of the day and begin to share with each other on a level that will enhance our spiritual relationships with one another and with God. So let's look at some benefits of fellowship in our lives. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor and he became a prisoner in a Nazi camp during World War II. And he was taken from prison to concentration camp and concentration camp to prison. And he had a lot of transfers over his years as a prisoner. And he lost contact with anyone he knew. But what he most missed was what he considered the most precious thing, 
he lost Christian fellowship. He wrote a book titled Life Together based on Psalm 133.1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. That's Psalm 133.1 there. In it, he shared the richness of Christian fellowship. And I want to quote a part of it. He said, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer, a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. How inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in daily fellowship of life with other Christians. He continues, let him who has such a privilege thank God on his knees and declare it his grace, nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in fellowship with Christians. That is such a reminder to give thanks to the Lord for the gift of fellowship, the gift that we have been given one another. And now in Christ, we belong to God's family and this can't be taken away from us. We will never be out of the fellowship. And being in fellowship with other godly believers, it helps us to grow in godliness. This is a huge benefit of fellowship and it begins within the context of our local churches. You need to be an active member of a solid Bible preaching church. And Michelle, Michelle Leslie, she has a helpful church finder guide on her blog if you're not currently attending a church or searching for one. I'll link to that. Fellowshipping with other godly people as we worship and connect with them on Sunday mornings and throughout the week, either at studies or activities at church, or we meet with them outside of church, that's a major part of how the Lord uses to grow us in his grace and knowledge and in godliness. We become seasoned by spending time with the seasoned. And as we seek, seek counsel and pray together and study and talk about God's word and how it impacts every area of our lives and, and that we're encouraged by one another as we walk alongside and we do life together, that's a means of grace that is such a huge blessing and benefit a fellowship with one another. We're not going to grow in godliness without Christian fellowship. So what are some practical ways that we can engage in fellowship? So as I just share a few of what this looks like lived out, my, my thoughts here are being directed towards those in our local church. Our local body of believers is where we are known and loved and cared for. It's where our souls are nourished, and it's where we have committed to this body of believers to walk together through all the various trials and challenges and difficulties and joyous times we encounter as a family of believers. Our society is very individualistic, but as Christians, we're called to be part of a family, and it's God's family. Families love and care for one another, and this can only happen if we are in relationship with each other. So what are some ways we can do this? This one another in scripture is a great, the, the or I should say the one another's in scripture, they are a great place to seek how we care and take care of each other within the body of Christ. Jerry Bridges stated, he said, the body grows as each member grows, but the ultimate focus of our concern should be the same as God's growth of the whole body. There's no room for self-absorbed individualism in the New Testament concept of fellowship. We care for each other. We spur one another on. We honor one another. Romans 12, 12, 12, 10 here comes to mind. Honor one another above yourselves, right? We're not in competition with each other, but as one part of the body is honored, we should all rejoice with them because we belong to one another. We have concern for the purity of the church and, and at times our fellowship may require us to correct one another lovingly. God rebukes and disciplines those he loves and he doesn't reject them, but seeks to restore them. And we should do the same. We're going to have those those few, those close people in our lives that, that we can get together with and share openly and honestly what's going on in our lives, knowing it will be held in confidence and knowing that they're going to encourage us and admonish us and pray for us. And they're going to be the ones that will speak truth in our lives. And it will be embraced by us 
because we know of their great love for the Lord and for us. We desire to grow in holiness, so we pray for one another. We're, we're going to share biblical truth with each other. We're going to have those who will keep us accountable and spur us on in our walk with the Lord. And as we just shared, those we can openly share our sin struggles with. James 5.16 tells us, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be heard. We're not able to encourage or motivate or pray for one another if we don't know the struggles that the other's person is facing. So Jerry Bridges shared from his book, True Community, again, which I highly recommend if you desire to know more of what true Christian fellowship looks like. But he shared some thoughts that I want to end this section with on qualities to look for as you ask God for a sister in the faith to koinonia with. And these are also qualities that should be in each of our lives as those who desire to be true friends in Christ to one another. We want our friends to exhibit these qualities. And I, 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 these are also in, um, in the PDF notes for this session, for this episode too. So he begins here. So this is what we should look for in a Christian friend. A desire backed up by action to grow in the Lord, both in personal character and in ministry to others an ability to understand and identify with your needs, frustrations, and temptations, but in an objective way. He reminds us we need understanding, but not pity. An ability to absolutely keep confidences so that you can share your inmost heart. A willingness, a willingness to make a commitment toward your spiritual welfare. A mature recognition that he or she does not have all the answers for your life. And a willingness to agonize, pray, and search the scriptures with you for those answers. A willingness to be honest with you, not allowing you to continue unchallenged in a wrong attitude or action. So, friend, when we become Christians, we enter in a relationship with believers that spans the earth and ages, right? We should grow in godliness and community and not isolation. Hebrews 10, 24, 25, I know we hear this all the time, but it is a key passage to keep at the forefront of our minds. I'm going to read it. Let us consider how to stir one another up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Bible doesn't know of Christians who separate themselves from the fellowship of the saints. Fellowship with one another is a means that the Lord pours out his sanctifying grace upon us and through us. It's another way he grows us in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we're coming to a close here, as we cultivate these habits of grace in these areas, we can grow in godliness and it will increase our joy in Jesus. We don't just coast into Christ-likeness. It takes time and discipline. The Lord uses many areas of our lives to grow us into the image of his son. And the spiritual disciplines, they are one way. They help us to know and love and serve the Lord in how the scripture lays out for us. We all desire to have the mind of Christ form within us so we can love others well and we can point them to the gospel. And the more we know about the Lord, the more we come to love and worship him. And the goal of discipline is it's not to make us better or nicer people, but it's to have the mind of Christ formed in us. So just as maintaining our physical health takes the discipline of a healthy diet and regular exercise, our spiritual lives too, they need a healthy diet of the intake of the word and prayer and fellowship and the exercise of putting those into practice in our day-to-day -day lives. So the Lord uses these three areas to change us into Christ-likeness. And the first two are, the uh, this is another area that I really love. So the Lord uses three areas to change us into Christ-likeness. I stated that wrong, so I apologize there. So the first two are out of our control because they are people 
and circumstances. So with these first two, the Lord works from the outside in. But the third area is what we're talking about today. It's the spiritual disciplines, and they are worked from the inside out. I can't control the situations and people that come into my life, but I can decide if I'm going to make time to read my Bible and pray today and be in fellowship with others. The desire and power to practice the disciplines are produced by the grace of God. They are his means of grace in our lives. I love Donald Whitney's example here. He says, a deep insatiable hunger for the Bible is a gift from God, but we are the ones who must turn the pages and read the words. God doesn't pull our passive bodies over to the desk and cause our hands to open the Bible and draw our eyes back and forth over the pages without any effort on our part and quote there. So we can't lift ourselves by our own bootstraps and make ourselves Christ-like on our own. Only God can make a sinful person more like Christ. But it doesn't mean we have nothing to do in our sanctification, or another way to put it, is in our pursuit of godliness. As we bring ourselves before God, he makes us more like Jesus. As we bring ourselves before God, looking to God by faith and through his means of grace, we can expect to meet God there and be changed by him. My dear friend, Jesus truly is enough always. I am so thankful for your time, and I pray this was an encouragement as you begin to start a new year and you're thinking through things like your Bible reading and you know your time in the Word and prayer and your interaction and engagement in your church family. Everything I mentioned, I mentioned a lot of links and resources, and they will all be in the show notes at the blog. I did not do a full post on this one. I put a little mini post, so I'm thankful you're listening in. I'm going to put that note in the blog, but... Um, all the verses and everything, everything will be in the attached PDF too, but I will put a lot still in the show notes there. So it'll be there. I'm rambling, but I'm so grateful for you, my dear friend. And I do pray you have a very blessed week. Mm-hmm.